Did you have an emergency C-section? Do you wish to avoid another cesarean but are unsure of your options or afraid complications might happen again? Heidi Sylvester joins the Bellies to Birthcast to discuss her home birth after emergency cesarean section under general anesthesia due to a cord prolapse with her first child. Welcome to Bellies to Birthcast, available whenever and wherever you want at givingbirthnaturally.com, the evidence-based guide to giving birth naturally. Our expert interviews, helpful tips, and inspirational stories will guide you through the pinnacles and pitfalls of pregnancy and childbirth so you can make informed decisions for your family. I'm your host, Katherine Byer. You are listening to the Bellies to Birthcast for the week of December 1st. Thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Well, you're very welcome. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your first birth experience? Well, I was a relatively young mother, and I was pretty naive, although I didn't realize it quite at the time how naive I was. I had witnessed a few births of relatives at hospitals and had seen very much the standard host of obstetric interventions with those births, all the way up, not including C-sections. So they had been vaginal births, but they had had a lot of intervention. And so that to me was normal, and that was what I expected pretty much was just to sort of have the doctor and the hospital take care of it. And I didn't really um, own my birth so much with my first baby. I I just didn't look at it that way. And I planned to have an epidural. That's entirely the norm here uh, in Utah where I live. They have extremely high rates, 95% of births or with an epidural. So I really had no concept of doing it any other way. I was a little concerned about being able to push my baby out or having an episiotomy, didn't want an induction, and those were things that I'd gathered a little bit about with my reading, but I didn't read a lot of things, and I read very mainstream type of book, you know, what to expect type of stuff. Um, And I didn't take any birthing classes with that first baby. Yeah, I went into that just sort of expecting it to go like all the other births that I had seen, and it didn't go like that at all, so it threw me for a loop. Can you tell us a little bit more about the actual birth? Yeah, it uh, it was pretty fast after it sort of all got going. I slept through early labor probably and woke up to some contractions, and then um, before like, 10 minutes had passed, I'd been awake that my water broke with a big gush. And so it was like, okay, very clearly you're going to have a baby today. And it was a few days before my due date. And my doctor was not around. He was up climbing a mountain. So I was going to have his on-call doc. And so that was kind of throwing kinks into things right off the bat. But I was not too worried about that. I figured whoever I got was going to be fine. And it really turned out to not matter at all. So I went right into the hospital because I had the group B strep positive, And I was told to go right in and get antibiotic. And by the time I got there, I was having contractions three or four minutes apart. So I probably would have wanted to go in anyway. And I was four centimeters when I arrived. And they did all the very normal things that they do to women, take off your clothes and put on this gown and put an IV in, get on the monitors and lay in bed. And 
So I did all that, and my husband was just right there with me, but I was having really good, strong, active labor, and I didn't have any idea what to really do. Um, But they told me I needed to get a bag of IV fluids run in before I was going to be able to get an epidural. So it it was kind of like, okay, you're all hooked up to everything, and here you go. We'll just wait. And they left us alone. And labor was steaming right ahead. So I was miserable <laughs> in the bed. <laughs> and it uh, it was pretty, that was pretty bad suffering time for me. And I eventually got to the point where I was kind of vomiting and sick. And I was entering transition, but I didn't know enough to realize that. And nobody was with me except my husband, who knew less than I did. Finally, after about an hour of being at the hospital and being alone in the room, it was um, 9.30 in the morning. My water broke at 7.30, so not too long of time had passed uh, before they came back into the room. Um, My my bag had finished draining, so I'd received enough fluids that they felt comfortable giving me the epidural, and I'm sure that it was just the time of morning that the anesthesiologist got there and started doing rounds, and so he came in to give me my epidural. And um, so for the first time, really, the room in the room with me was the nurse, and she was like, wow, you know, you're really laboring. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like first-time mom and just barely be you know, getting going here in this hour, I've left you alone. You seem like you've made a lot of progress. So um, she noticed that while I was leaning over the tray while they gave me the epidural. And so right after, she said, we should probably check you and see where you're at because you're, you seem like you're really far. And so she did check me and I was eight centimeters then. So I was going into transition, but uh, at her exam, she couldn't feel ahead anymore, and she wasn't really quite sure what she was feeling. So she called in, I guess, maybe the charge nurse, a different nurse, and she also checked, and she thought it was a foot. She was pretty sure it was a foot. So they started kind of preparing us. Okay, your baby's free. We're going to have to do a C-section. And so they gave, you know, brought in the, the clothes for my husband to put on and kind of started prepping me. I think they might have done the shave. I'm not sure. Because it all, it all pretty much was happening fast. It was like, okay, okay. we're going to have a C-section now. We're going for it. Um, but before we could really get too far gone, the heart rate started to go down too. So then it was rolling me onto my side and then rolling me into my hands and knees and trying different things to see if they could get the baby's heart rate to go back up. Nothing was working. And it was down to like 80. So pretty low. In that danger zone. Definitely in the danger zone. Not, you know, gone, but not not okay, obviously. So then they're really moving quickly, and a doctor came in, and he checked me, and now um, there was definitely a foot protruding and a cord. So somehow the cord had slipped through, or she'd kicked it through, or who knows. But it was coming now, and so then it was stat. We're going down the hall. We're doing it right now. and Right, a um, true emergency. Yeah. Like, we're, I'm not really sure because it happened so fast, you know, if he even ever took his hand out. It just kind of seemed like my bum in the air flying down the hallway. That would be pretty typical. Yeah, situation exactly. To keep the cord in. Yeah, exactly. So it was, uh, you know, just rushing down the hall. And very fortunately, my 
my place, I just rolled into the operating room in place of a woman who was about to have a C-section, and her doctor was standing there, scrubbed in, and he was uh, OB, and I had been cared for by the family practice doctors, and so they were more than happy to say, go ahead and do the C-section. You're all ready to go, and you can do it faster than I can anyway. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it was probably three minutes after I was in the OR when he was checking for numbness, and this had all happened so rapidly that I hadn't gotten any pain relief from the epidural, or not not nearly enough, obviously, for surgery. So right. he pinched me, and I yelped, and they said, we're sorry, you're going to have to go to sleep. And so I was asleep. And my husband was told that he had to stay out because they, you know, they intubate and do all that where they won't let the husband see you in surgery. And she was born pretty rapidly, I guess, you know, within 10 minutes of the cord prolapse being discovered. So that was like amazingly fast record time response. And Mm -hmm. it was very fortunate. So I didn't even have time to get scared really before I was already asleep. My husband got a lot more scared and kind of had to wait and see and... And they brought the baby out to him, and he was able to go with her to the nursery and get her bath. And eventually I, um, you know, woke up enough to ask the nurse, you know, what was my baby? Because we hadn't found out the sex. We were waiting for that surprise. And so it was kind of like, what did I have? And groggy way. And I remember kind of smiling about that and, and going back to sleep and just being really in and out of it for the next probably hour and a half. And then they took me to my room, and I guess they waited for me to get awake for a while, and they left the baby in the nursery. My husband was in in the room with me, with my mother-in-law, and I woke up at some point and asked them, you know, where was she? And they told me how beautiful she was, and then I fell back to sleep. (laughs) And then eventually they brought her to me, and I sort of remember getting to hold her, and not being able to breastfeed because I was just super out of it. And, yeah, that's pretty much the end of that story. You had one of the rare, true complications of birth that a court prolapse can be definitely frightening and sure. uh, be an emergency. What was re- your reaction? You said that while this was happening, you didn't even have time to react. It was just too fast. But yeah. looking back, what's your reaction to that experience with your first child? Well, it was pretty devastating for a while emotionally. I kind of didn't feel for a little while there was a numb state, but then it, it it was creeping in more and more, and I had some pretty severe postpartum depression, and I had a lot of just, like, confusion about it, like not understanding really what had happened and not not really understanding why it had happened, too. And so I... I kind of reacted to that, and maybe it's because I'm just the kind of studious person by going to the Internet and to books and trying to read every birth story I could get my hands on, trying to understand, uh, first of all, if it ever happened to anyone else, which, of course, women have experienced emergency C-sections. So there was a lot of I could identify with there. But also, you know, why does a baby turn breach right at the very last second like that? You know, had she been breached all along or you know, why had her cord come out and what could I have done about it? Was there something wrong with me? I had a sense that maybe my uterus was shaped funny or, you know what I mean? Back then I didn't know anything about uteruses, but I had been told at some gynecological appointment somewhere along the line that 
maybe my uterus was a little heart-shaped or that it was tilted, you know, and now I know that everybody's uterus is tilted one way or the other. But at the time, I thought, well, maybe mine's tilted funny where my babies will always do that. And I shouldn't even try to have another vaginal baby because I'll just need a C-section again and I should just plan this and be in control of it because at least I could be awake. And so that was kind of the reaction at first, just, you know, I have to learn everything about this because I don't understand what happened to me and I'm sad. Right. Do you feel, you know, looking back and having educated yourself more on what happened, do you feel that there was any way that maybe the breach hadn't been detected and she'd been breached all along? Well, I, you know, that's a hard call because it's hard to say what, what if someone missed something in exams. I mean, I know that very experienced people can sometimes fill a bottom and think that it's a head, and that's not the first time that's ever happened before. But obviously, she wasn't a footling to start with. Somehow, she had converted to having the foot out first, which I still am not quite sure how she managed that with broken waters and a, a contracting uterus and just all the things that were going on. So it's strange, you know, like part of me just feels like, well, it was just the universe coming in there and zapping this thing to happen so that my life would be different because I would never have done my second birth the way I did it if the first birth hadn't gone that way. But then part of me also says a doula or a midwife's presence would have been all the difference in the world because they would have never laid me in that bed reclining and in such a completely unfavorable position for getting your baby to come down through your pelvis. You know, anybody who was doing natural labor support would get you upright and get you symmetrical upright, not uh, just lounging in the bed, which is just the absolute worst position that you could pretty much be in. So I kind of wonder if like I had been able to follow my instincts to get up and walk around the room, which is what most women do is walk and move their hips and things like that. If she would have come down into the pelvis and not been able to make that big spin. So do you feel that some of the interventions you had in the hospital may have contributed to your prolapse? Well, the the big thing to me is the laying in the bed, but I also wonder about the position that I was in for the epidural. Um, it was like get you bent over. Hutched over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with your back sticking out, which is not really a position that women choose to labor in normally. Not the most comfortable. No, not really. And it, from what we can tell, she wasn't in distress until after that. So you kind of have to wonder if if that bending over and leaning had, had somehow contributed to her wanting to make that spin or flip. It's pretty hard to say, but it certainly didn't help to be laying down in the bed where gravity wasn't getting her down. Right, but it definitely sounds like now you have questions, questions on what happened. Is it one of those things? Or Yeah, it's really hard to say because strange things do happen sometimes, even under the right. best of circumstances. But with gravity, gravity pulling a baby's head down into a pelvis, it seems like it would have been a lot harder for a baby to do a somersault than, you know, laying down in bed where uh, the the angle is going to drive her head just basically into my pubic bone instead of down through the pubic bone. Right, absolutely. Now, given your first birth experience, you know, you'd initially said that you thought 
planet have that scheduled C-section so you could be awake, so you wouldn't have the emergency conditions. But ultimately, you chose a home birth. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came to be? Well, a lot, a lot of education, a whole lot of reading and changing um, my level of knowledge about what is good for babies and what is good for moms and what risk levels there are, you know. I had to really read and understand how rare it is, in fact, for a cord to prolapse and how rare, you know, even more rare for a baby to to convert from vertex to breech. Um, and then also on the other side of the coin, learn the statistics about, you know, how cesarean birth affects the baby for the rest of its life, the increased risks of asthma and immune system problems. And none of that that weighed against the very, very small risk of something going wrong. And, you know, I became very much aware of what the risks of rupture were and what sort of things contributed to that, uh, you know, pitocin and augmentation and those sort of things that I really wanted to avoid. Obviously, cesareans aren't fun. They are really painful to recover from. And so I didn't really want to do that again as much as I wanted to be able to control the experience that's a pretty big thing to do to your body just for the sake of being able to control it. So, you know, I just changed everything about the way I thought about birth. I, you know, I didn't want my child to be born that way. I didn't want to be separated from my child when it was born. I wanted it to be um, in my arms. And it became a very big deal to experience the whole thing. I felt so gypped by my first experience, some sort of, um, like I'd missed out on everything, and so I kind of had a a passion to really, really experience it the second time around. Um, And we probably were only going to have two children, and so it wasn't going to be like something I'd get to try over and over again until I got it right. It was sort of learning, you know, this is the way I really want it to be, and I really, really want to experience this, and so... When I start to add all the pieces of the puzzle together, for me, the the ideal way, the best way for this child to be born was at home with no interventions. So as far as, uh, you know, and as long as that was possible to do that, that's what I wanted. And unfortunately, everything was healthy and my pregnancy was very normal and he was head down and... So there was no reason why I shouldn't be able to give birth at home, and I did. <laughs> now, was VBAC an option in your area, and was that something you were considering as well? Well, it was an option. I didn't know as much about who would have been able to give me that VBAC at the time, and so I felt very limited in my options. Mm-hmm. I didn't know any nurse midwives who would be able to attend me in the hospital, uh, I've since learned, you know, of them and that they do exist, but at the time I didn't know that they did. Um, I would have liked to have given birth in our local birth center because those were midwives that I knew um, from other experiences and I was very comfortable with them, but because they have a regulation policy, whatever, that they can't take VBACs, that wasn't an option for me. So I felt like I wouldn't have been able to give birth in in the hospital that I wanted to. I didn't feel like I would get midwifery care. Um, And I I also knew 
that I was going to be on a monitor the whole time and that there was no way out of that. And I really wasn't comfortable with that. I knew that that definitely increased my odds of just having a C-section, you know, that was truly unnecessary just because the monitor gives false positives so often. And I, I also just didn't... I didn't feel comfortable with the fear that is in hospitals about VBACs. Um, I didn't want to be treated like an emergency waiting to happen. Absolutely. I definitely agree. There's a big misperception that a VBAC is a scary, risky thing. When we look at the research, very few complications typically happen. Yeah. From VBAC, most women yeah. can be successful, but you're right, in a hospital it is much more often viewed as an emergency waiting to happen. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. some good doctors out there who do a great job of attending VBACs, and I'm really grateful that they do that, but uh, I didn't know them at the time, and I really didn't feel like there was someone out there who would truly support me and leave me to VBAC without, without all that fear. Were there any other reasons that you chose a home birth for your second child? Well, probably top on the list would be uh, the protection of the mother and newborn's bond after the birth is over. They really, really leave the baby in your arms at home for as long as you want that baby to be there. And, And as much as humanly possible, they don't mess with you and they don't bother your baby, and they just let you bond and start breastfeeding and just do what comes naturally, and there's not that rushed feeling. And so that that was important to me to make sure that my baby wasn't taken out of my arms for any reason um, that wasn't a really, really good reason. So I had a, a lot more trust in that happening to, for me at home. Um, another part of that was the ability to labor in the water and to have the kind of freedom of movement and comfort that I wanted to have. I didn't feel real confident in my ability to give birth without medications if I didn't have, um, you know, the birth tub and things like that. And also, I'm a really big believer in in sort of the uh, hormones and the emotional aspects, the psychological aspects of birth. I think that women need to feel safe and they need to feel comfortable. And so when I would think about giving birth in the hospital and I would feel those panicky feelings kind of, uh, you know, take over me that, that for whatever reason it just kind of freaked me out to go there and I, I felt the adrenaline rush, I knew that that would not be helpful to my laboring to have that kind of fear. I needed to have only comfort and peace around me during that laboring time just to make sure that those hormones worked the best way that they could. So that was those would probably be my top three reasons for staying at home. What role did your husband play in this decision? Was he immediately supportive, or, or did he have some reservations about birthing at home? He definitely had some reservations about birthing at home. I, I still wish that he could have been able to be more comfortable with the birthing experience. He had trauma from the first experience, a certain amount of just you know, fear that wasn't going to be able to be overcome. And and so it was scary for him. I can't even imagine. Yeah, it was really, it was really scary. And, and fortunately, both births ended up being scary for him just because 
it was so imprinted from the first birth that even the second birth where it was very peaceful and nothing urgent and, you know, all of those things no one else felt, he still felt scared. But he was a trooper, and I gave him lots of reading assignments, and I said, here's this study, and here's that study, and uh, I made my case for him, I guess, you know, that enough that he said, you have to give birth. It's your body that has to do this, and I'm not real comfortable with it. It's, It's still kind of scary for me, but I trust you enough and know you've done your research enough to believe that this is an okay thing to do. Um, and we, you know, we talked to the midwife and it helped him a little bit to um, kind of ask her questions and know, you know, you've, what would you do if this happened and how would we handle that? Midwives know how to answer those questions and they can help you feel a lot better. So that did help some. And, you know, in the end, he, he was still kind of scared going into it and he white-knuckled it through, but he made it. <laughs> he made it. He was a good support. He ended up being right there with me the whole time. So, mm-hmm. now, In retrospect, when he looks back, is he is, has his perception changed at all? Um, I think that he appreciates how much it meant to me. I think that he sees the difference with um, just kind of the way that our relationship was, my, myself and my son that it was a much less traumatic experience for me. And so that part he's very grateful about. And, you know, it's obviously nicer to have a wife that doesn't have postpartum depression and, you know, is feeling empowered and happy about her experience instead of devastated and, uh, you know, emotionally distraught. Right, especially when there's two kids to take care of instead of just the one. Right, yeah. Now, what types of challenges did you face as you started preparing for your home birth? Were there any obstacles you had to work through, like insurance or laws, restrictions in your areas, anything of that nature? Yeah, well, I mean, I did my research, you know, a long time before I was pregnant to kind of search out the midwives who um, would would help me with the insurance. Um, I was fortunate, I guess, at that time just to have been on a plan that had actually, you know, semi-decent coverage for out-of-network. I knew that I couldn't go to the birth center, and that was kind of a disappointment. That's probably the one legal restriction that affected mainly, because I think uh, the birth center might have been a little bit of a halfway ground that would have made my husband feel a little bit better. That wasn't an option, and so I just researched midwives locally and found found one that I was very comfortable with that had a lot of education and a lot of experience and the certification that I wanted her to have as far as knowing that she was a well-qualified midwife. It's not uh, it's not too bad around Utah to have a home birth because we have a long tradition of home births. It's kind of never gone away here like it has in some places. So, so in some ways you might have had more options than yeah. even in a different area. Yeah, I think there's a few more practicing midwives here than maybe in some other areas, you know. And I don't live out in the boonies. I live in the, the, you know, basically the urban areas of Salt Lake, so that helps too. Now, given your history, did you encounter any resistance from friends or other family members to your decision to home birth? Oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) Everybody says you're crazy when you tell them that, and... My husband got even more earfuls from the guys at work, you know, how 
how could you even think of letting your wife do that? And, you know, why would you ever do that? And and actually one of my biggest opponents was my grandmother, who's given birth at home herself in rural Utah. But she just, you know, had changed to that mindset that the hospital was the safest thing and, and thought that I should do that. But she did, wasn't in charge. <laughs> so, you know, it was just kind of like, you know, I'm sorry that you feel that way. But this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Any anyway, I you know the few people that were very close to me is like my parents and my sisters. They all um, had been somewhat educated as I was going through this path of learning. You know, you know, I read about this thing last week, and can you believe that? And so they had um, been hearing this stuff for a while, and and the information was kind of getting presented, but then it. When it came down to it, I'm definitely having a home birth. It made my parents nervous, you know, more so than other births that their their children had had and other grandchildren had been born, and they were more concerned. And so I did a few things to kind of accommodate them and make them feel a little bit better about it. Like meet, I met with a midwife that my mom knew um, just to make her feel better, just to think, you know, I talked it over with her, even though it didn't really change what I ended up doing. I just, I tried to humor them some, but in the end, they kind of know that I'm a stubborn person and that when I make up my mind to do things my way, that they're not going to change my mind. But I think they definitely saw the effort you put into this decision, that it wasn't just, well, we're going to have home birth. You had put in the hours and the homework. Yeah, they learned about it as I did and got to read some of the things I brought them, you know, the studies and the books. And and so they didn't, you know, weren't completely, uh, you know, without information and they weren't seeing what I was basing this information on. You know, I even brought my doula in and we watched a birth video together with my family so that they could see, you know, what a home birth would look like. And so, and because I was using a self-hypnosis technique for pain management, I I wanted them to see what that looks like and sort of talk to my doula about how you have to be when a woman is trying to be um, in a self-hypnosis state. And so, you know, we did lots of things to kind of make them aware and educated because in the end they were coming. So... And my mom desperately wanted to be there. She loves birth and, and loves to be on the business end, as she puts it. <laughs> and so, you know, she really wanted to be there, but it, we tried to quell some of those fears beforehand. And she she said later that she expected to be nervous. And then when it came right down to it, because the midwife was so calm, because I was so calm, because my doula was calm, she was calm and she said she never felt afraid. We talked about a little bit earlier that you didn't want to be surrounded in the fear of a hospital. Yeah. And fear breeds fear, whereas you're not expected to be afraid, but that comfort and reassurance spread that. She didn't need to be afraid because she was surrounded in an environment that was supportive and accepting of birth. Exactly. And, you know, my, my doula was aware enough to, if anybody had been afraid, she would have asked them to leave, but they weren't. It was just really peaceful, and they all had a a good experience with the birth. Like, they were just really amazed by it. So that was was cool to be able to share that with them. 
Now, tell us a little bit about your emergency plan. What steps had you taken to prepare in the event that some type of emergency did arise? I had looked into the hospital that was the closest to my home as far as, you know, how exactly do you get there and how exactly do you get into it? And I had their numbers all posted by the phone. And we'd talk to the midwife about, you know, if if this com- becomes an emergent situation, this is what we're going to do. And we'd gone over those sorts of things a lot. And a lot of that was just because I was still sort of afraid, you know, that I would have a cord prolapse and it was hard to completely not be afraid of that because it was the only thing I knew. But I timed the drive to the hospital a number of times and, and had the numbers by the phone. I... I, I know the plan was there and the net was there, but after like a certain point, I, I didn't even worry about it. Like I just sort of had a peace in my heart that it was all going to go according to plan. Mm-hmm. And it really sounds like you took the time to do the what ifs, ask those yeah. hard questions. Your first birth, you hadn't considered that a cesarean would be necessary. In this case, you were able to. Yeah, if I get plan B sort of outlined and here are the steps, then I can just know that's done and set it aside and then go back to just focusing on what the ideal will be. But it's Mm -hmm. all done, you know, I don't have to worry about it. Now tell us about your actual birth. Well, it was lovely in the end. It was beautiful. (laughs) In a word, lovely. It was. It was um, a pretty typical birth, I guess, and he went a few days over his due date. Um, I, uh, I was ready for him by then, and labor kind of was the same as with my first, where I wasn't really super aware that I was in early labor. I probably should have been, but I was kind of in, like, denial, like, if I don't think about this, then, it, you know, either it will turn into the real thing, or I won't be focused on it, worrying about whether it is. And so I just kind of went about my usual business on that morning, even though I was having some signs of early labor. And uh, my sister came out who was planning to attend the birth, one of my best friends, and she came and brought me lunch just thinking, you know, you're overdue and sick and tired of everything and have this little... So she brought her little girl to play with my little girl and so we could have relax and have lunch. And I'm standing at the counter trying to eat this lunch with her and telling her, yeah, I'm having some contractions and some of them are kind of serious. And she was kind of noticing me having to stop and breathe through them. And, and I said, yeah, but you know, these are pretty good, but I'm not going to get too excited. And before I could really get those words out, my water broke. <laughs> So I was like, oh, well, except that we'll get excited now because that, yeah, that was my water. <laughs> so I, she uh, took care of my little girl and I went on up and got dried. And it, just like the last time, once my water breaks, the, the contractions start up in earnest. And so I um, called people and they started to kind of come. And my husband came home from work and set up the tub and got that running and, um, my doula came and helped me to do some relaxation scripts and get into a little bit deeper self-hypnosis. And mostly I just kind of I just kind of walked around my house and and used my furniture, you know, to lean over the dresser or to sit on the birth ball and lean on the bed and um sit on the toilet and just, you know, just labor and do what you do and it, and it's all just like so easy because people just show up and, and you don't have to do anything. You don't have to pack your bags or worry about if it's time to go. So I just labored in a very straightforward way and the midwife came and set up and then 
after a time, I thought, well, maybe I should get in the tub now. That might feel really good. It's full. And I wanted her to check me because I, I didn't want to get in too soon. And so she said I was at a six, and that was at maybe 12 o'clock. Uh, my water broke at 11.30, and that, I guess it would have been like 12.30. So I got in the tub, just labored in there. It made all the difference in the world to have that warmth and relaxation. So I um, I just hung out in there for a long time and then started to just feel the urge to push a little bit. And so I told them that. And, and she said, you know, do you want me to check you again? And I... Uh, I think I labored a couple more contractions, and then I said I would like her to check me, and so she found uh, that I just had a little lip of cervix, and um, the next contraction I pushed, and she kind of helped reduce that um, so that I could really push because I was feeling the urge pretty strong. And so then I just kind of let my body guide me into the different positions, and I used quite a few just in the tub, hands and knees for a while, squatting, um, just sitting, and and I would just reach up and feel for myself, kind of, you know, the baby's there, and when I would push, I could feel that the baby was coming down and kind of get a sense for what positions and what pushing was helping. So I just basically guided the head down through that whole part for like the next two hours uh, pushing, and then I, I think I told them that the that the head was staying down now. It wasn't rocking back up under the bone. And, and so the midwife felt a little bit. And, and I said, I think I would really like some lubrication because I could just kind of feel like there was nothing but skin holding mm-hmm. him in there. <laughs> so um, they helped me get out of the tub onto the birth stool that was right next to the tub. And my doula sat on one side and I put my foot up on her thigh and my mom sat on the other side and I put my foot up on her thigh so that I was in kind of a squat um, with my pelvis nice and open on the stool. My husband was behind me and uh, then the midwife got a a mirror and showed me and I was like, wow, okay, I can do this (laughs) because I'm really Mm -hmm. close. It made all the difference to be able to see it. Like I hadn't been able to see it in the tub. Right, Um, it made it so real. Yeah, And, and also just like and not a million miles away. It, it it felt like there was inches and inches worth of skin that I was never going to get past. But then when I could see it, it was like, oh, he's right there. He has hair. And so I was just pushing really hard and holding my husband's hands for a few more pushes on the stool that way. And uh, he finally came through. His head kind of popped through, and then he just, right out because he had had his little hand up by his head and that was why it took me a while to push him through so he made it out and the midwife said take your baby and I took my baby and I said oh my god I did it I did it I did it and we you know I put my arms my husband wrapped his arms around me and I I think I bawled some and I think he was in shock (laughs) Mm -hmm. but uh, Everybody was just right there. My sisters were at the door. My my little sister, who was in charge of my daughter, brought her up so that she could see the baby be born. And uh, she came over to the bed for just a minute and said hi to her brother. And then she was like, I'm going back down to play and ran back downstairs to play with her cousin some more. And um, my other sister was there, my sister-in-law, 
with my parents and so we had kind of a room full of people but it was it was completely silent um except for what you know the very few words that I spoke and then he was in my arms and he didn't leave them for a very long time <laughs> and everybody thought I was mean cuz I wouldn't share but it was my baby and I wasn't sharing <laughs> Now, during your labor and during your pregnancy, at any point, did you question your decision to have a home birth? No. Uh-uh. No. Not. After really the last couple of weeks, I think because I had been doing so much of the scripts, listening, self-hypnosis script that kind of guided me through visualizing the birth and then all of these affirmations that just, you know, I can give birth naturally, my body was made to do this, and it, it really had sunk in. So I... I really didn't feel any sort of, like, worry about it after that. There was still a certain amount of families that was concerned, but I, you know, it was just like, well, this is what we're doing, so I'm good. And and definitely never felt even, like, the moment of concern during the birth itself. Like, I, I just was in the zone of being in labor, and I never felt even remotely like anything but just, I'm having a baby, and I'm just having a baby now, and it's great. Oh, that's wonderful. In retrospect, what were the foremost benefits of working at home in your situation? Um, the family togetherness, just the the bonding that we were able to do, um, the the way that I felt about the birth afterwards, the completely empowered feeling that I had done this, that it was all me and, you know, no one else had done it for me and that it was my choice to do it this way and that I was the one in control. No, I I still just feel, like, amazing about that because it was just such a... I don't know. It's just amazing how you how your body can do it, can do something so seemingly so large and... And yet, it's just it just does it. It just can, and it's actually not that bad if you l- allow yourself to follow your instincts. I think that was a. I mean, I I I can't hardly compare the different sensations between the first birth of laboring to eight centimeters in that hospital bed and how miserable that was, and yet, you know, completely giving birth. 100% unmedicated on my own in my own bedroom, and I don't have any memories of it being painful. Intense, yeah, like powerful, amazingly strong, but not, not, it never hurt. It was just, I was just able to work with that sensation so much better when I was upright and moving and putting my leg up on the bed and, and sitting in the tub and doing what I felt was right to do. And then what the evidence says works best. <laughs> yeah. With support, you know, that makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were to have another child, would you make different decisions the next time? No, I wouldn't do a whole lot different. Um, I know more of the midwives in our community now, so I might choose a different midwife, um, not because mine wasn't fabulous, but just because I am better friends with some of the others now. Um I might, you know, just my birth team might be a little bit different just because of uh, who I know. But mm-hmm. uh, basically, I wouldn't really do anything different. Um, 
I would probably like to change the way that my husband felt about it. You know, if there was anything that I could do to make it so it wasn't as scary for him throughout the whole experience. You know, I just think his gut reaction was to have that adrenaline release of like fight or flight kind of panicky sensation that Mm -hmm. is not fun for anyone, of course, you know. And he had that during Eric's whole birth, and and that's kind of a shame because I was flooded with wonderful emotions of endorphins and oxytocin, and so, like, it was the most amazing, beautiful experience for me, and he was just scared. So if I could do anything differently, I would want to change that for him, Um, and that would be a task. I'm not quite sure how I'd manage, but... You want him to feel as good as you did. Yeah, yeah, I'd like that. And, you know, if it all came down to it and if I really didn't feel like I could make it feel better for him, I'd probably just send him out to hunt or something. <laughs> I don't know. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Before we end, what's the one piece of takeaway advice you'd like to share with other women considering home birth or considering home birth after having a previous cesarean? Well, they need to do um, some real research and talk to the people in their community about all of their options. And then they really, I think they need to check with themselves inside their their gut or heart or instinct or however you want to word that. But women know what's best for them. And, and there isn't a right answer or a wrong answer. Um, there's just what feels safe and right and comfortable to you. Um, some, for some people, that that's at home and just just doing their thing with very little in, intervention or with very little monitoring. But for other people, they they really need to feel like you know the technology is there or that you know that the mom the monitor is beeping and that they can hear their little baby's heart tone. Uh, you know, for some of us, that creates a calm feeling, and for some of us, that creates a, a kind of feeling of panic to be hooked up to beeping machines and and that's okay so you just have to know that you have options know what all of them are and then use your gut to kind of tell you what is the best thing for you that's what I tell women well thank you so much Heidi for being with us and sharing your story you definitely have a lot of good information to share having been at both ends of the spectrum well you're very welcome I I love to share I'm (laughs) I'm known to talk too much. (laughs) I think today you talked just enough. And thank you again so much for being with us. You're very welcome. On the next episode of Bellies to Birthcast, join us as we talk to other mothers who chose home birth.